see what they put up there for me. Paul Evans, I'm just member at large. That's it. I was on staff here from 97 to 2015. I've been a member since then. Uh, some of the prime timers that are in here, we're going to be covering some stuff that we kind of hit in class the last uh, few years. It seems like I've been teaching the same thing for about three years with the prime timers. Probably about ready to get rid of me. Now, I wasn't going to do this. One of our members put this on, on Facebook. I wasn't going to mention the game last night, but Tanya Thompson said 100% chance of every preacher in Alabama will say something about the game today. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to tell you what Jesus said. <laughs> and this is on Facebook, so I know it's true. And thus he says, Alabama fans, I better see you in church tomorrow after all that praying. Now, what that situation was, I was turning it off at two minutes left. I was like, this is, a, this is crazy. Appreciate you guys who are in distress showing up, and those of you who are still confused at how it was a possible win showed up. So blessings on all fronts. We're going to play a game to begin with. We're going to fill in some blanks because words are so important. They're critical, they're impactful, they're powerful. They can destroy, they can build up, they make a difference, they're memorable. Uh, we hold on to some words for years. Some of us have things that were said to us 5, 10, 20 years ago. We still replay them. Some of those are negative and some of those are positive. We also have words that have been said through history that we tend to hold on to and remember. FDR said this, and you're going to fill in the blank on this. First of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is... Wow, okay, y'all off to a good start. I'm feeling pretty encouraged. Next is JFK. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask. Mm, good, we've got some old people in here because young people don't know all that. That was good. Obviously, Martin Luther King, I have a I have a dream. And then probably what first verse that almost every single one of us memorized is this from John 3, 16. For God so... The world that he, his only son, and then the rest of it's whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How many of you, when you quoted the verse, and I'm, I can't see very well because I've got the bright lights. How many of you said begotten, only begotten son? I heard me, that sounded like Allison. <laughs> not sure it was, but that would be Allison Andrews' statement. Me, I'll tell you this, begotten, that's King James Version, people. That's old school. Those of us who grew up, especially in, in churches of Christ, I mean, that was our version growing up. We had the these, we had the thou's. That's why I even titled this Thy Word, because that's where we centered, and we knew every single aspect about it. In fact, when it comes to our fellowship, the word for us has been our guide. If we hit that next screen, it's our guide. It's our compass. It's our direction. Years ago, and I think somewhat still today, but especially 20 years ago and, and previously, it was often said that if you want to know something about the Bible, you need to go and ask somebody in Church of Christ. Even before that, we were called the Campbellites. I like that reputation. I like the reputation of saying, if you want to know the Word, not opinion, not somebody's thoughts, not somebody's hopes, but simply, if you want to know the Word, you go to the Church of Christ to learn about that. I don't know how true that is today. But it should be true, and it shouldn't just be true for us. It should be true of every single believer. 
that what we're allowing to guide us is the word. And here's what the word says about the word. John chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, All scripture is God-breathed or God-inspired and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness that the servant of God or the man of God may be thoroughly equipped, thoroughly furnished, as it said in the King James Version, for every good work. And even as you read that, maybe you thought of some other good work passages. Think about Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it says, by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourself. It's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. But you are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works which he prepared for you in advance. We've been thoroughly equipped. We're not just being let go and let loose and good luck. But we are equipped for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, instruction in righteousness. The word of God is our guide. Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says this. How can a young man, how can a young person keep uh, his way pure? By living according to your word. Next one. There we go. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Keep going. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. I've hidden your word in my heart that I will not sin against you. How do we keep our lives pure? Not simply by being good enough, not by being strong enough, but having his word inside us. Back when I was in youth ministry, it was always a challenge because the teens, not the teens today, teens back in my day wanted to know where the line was. If we're out on a date, what's the line? I'll tell you this, I'll tell you where you can certainly discover where the line is. If the person you're out on the date makes a move, you just quote a scripture. I guarantee you, you'll find out the line is at your house because you'll get dropped off. If you start <laughs> quoting some scripture, unless, you know, they're, they're believing couples, of course. I will not go too far with that. But if we've hidden the word in our heart so that it's there, so that it's ready, so that it's prepared, when sin comes knocking, when temptation comes knocking... We're not simply trying to come up with something clever. We've got God's word in us to bring that up and to make a difference. Isaiah 40 and verse 8 says this, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures. It endures how long? It endures forever. And then Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit. Joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It does judge. Have you ever been reading the Word and you got convicted? You ever thought, ooh, wish that hadn't have been in there. <laughs> Didn't know I needed to discover that. Lord, why'd you bring that into my heart at this moment? Because it separates and it divides and it judges so that it becomes our guide. So that we can look into the Word and see what God desires and what He wants and what He wills. I was so blessed to be uh, raised in a family of the Word. Uh, my grandfather, he was a, a, an elder at Wetumpka Church Christ, and uh, every Sunday after church, he would ask if I would stay, would go home and eat, and then we'd come back to the church to wash communion cups. We washed them back in that day because they were glass. Some of you may remember that. I had a little bit of heft to them, a little bit of weight. And, of course, the ladies were making the homemade communion bread. Now, because I was not spiritual at that time, just a young lad, I thought that, 
I would get to consume the remains. And they, I would get to drink the communion cup. And Daddy B would say, now, Paul, Paul, you're not there yet. And he would explain the word to me. To not take it for granted. To not make it less than. And I remember one of his first gifts he ever gave me was, was Haley's Bible Handbook. Because he said it's not only important to read the word, it's important to study the word. And a lot of Christmases, he would give me a commentary. Because it was critical for us. I've probably mentioned before how when I would get up in the morning, my mom's Bible would be open across the breakfast table. She'd already been up reading. I went to Alabama Christian Academy and got to have Bible class every single day and chapel every single day. And I loved that. Al Milligren was my youth minister growing up and, and then friend from then on out. And Al always stressed the word. Always. He said, Paul, this is what's most important. This is where our hearts lie. And I think even today, Mom and Tim, do y'all get up in the morning and still read the Bible to each other? Tim says yes, Mom's raising her hand. Just want to make sure I wasn't saying anything false in case they quit. But they're still doing that type of activity of sharing the word together that it becomes our guide. But I don't think it's enough just for us to simply, you know, just read the word and just hope, even though it can get into us that way. Because I remember that great theologian that some of you may know, Dane Bell, Buddy's brother. I was out in the foyer one day, and Dane said, Paul, you know, I'll read the Bible every day. I don't really understand all of it. He said, but the truth is, if you read it every day, it ends up getting in you. You can't stop it. I thought, that is true. But there's also a depth that we can go to. So we're going to cover the dive this morning. And with the dive, the first thing we kind of think about is hermeneutics. And this was covered pretty extensively when we had the instrumental uh, um, study that Buddy led us through. And a hermeneutic for us and our fellowship is express command, example, necessary inference. And some of you guys loved that study. And some of you were challenged by that study. But for me, it was one of the most exciting times for me personally in this church because I heard more conversations about a topic than I had heard in years. People ask me to go to breakfast. Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Opening up the Bible, sharing passages. Yes, that's what our fellowship is based on. Paul Brandon and I were talking about that just a little bit this morning. We were raised in a time where this type of hermeneutic, it was everything that we focused on. And we did a great job teaching that way. And I still believe it's very useful. However, back in Jesus' day, this was not their hermeneutic. It was totally different. It had a different thought process and a different interpretation process. Because if you've ever noticed that Jesus would say some things and teach some things that weren't always clear and didn't always make sense, and that was on purpose. Because the rabbi back then did not teach as Westerners do, where we teach with points and outlines and things along those lines. Back in that day, the way that they taught was simply telling a story or a parable, and people had to go home and study that and learn about it and pull up some of the background passages. So what we're going to look at is Matthew 13. This will not be on the screen. Matthew 13, 1 through 23. It's going to be a long reading. You can look at it on your phones. If you brought a physical copy, I don't know if you can see it out there in the darkness, but feel free to look that up. But I will read it, but I want you to listen. Because as a society, gentle moment, cautious, we are lazy. We're lazy. We're not good listeners. I'm a terrible listener. We've been raised in a culture where the, the attention spans like two seconds. And we don't listen very well. But in this time, they had to listen because they didn't have a copy. 
and they didn't have something digital to look up the word. They had to be very auditory, and their goal was to memorize while the scripture was being read. So Matthew 13, 1 through 23, says that same day Jesus went out of the house, and he sat down by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into the boat, and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, and when, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred or sixty or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has been given more, he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. And though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing and never perceiving. Those people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because you see, and your ears because you hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed known, sown among the path. The one who received the seed that fell on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, it lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution come because of the word, he quickly falls away. Then one who receives the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but worries of this life and deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on the good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And so Jesus gives the parable and he gives an overview to his disciples of what it actually means. And in their age, when they would be challenged to study... There were three elements. There was the Peshat, there was the Ramez, and there was the Darash. And so the Peshat was basically the content. It's the story overall, which most people would receive and hear. And simply, as Jesus is saying, they would simply just go away. They would leave, but not really give it thought or discussion. The Ramez was what was supposed to happen. And it's why Jesus is saying, I'm hiding these things from them because they're not willing to work for the answer. They want to be given the answer but they don't want to study and work for the answer. So the Ramez was supposed to be a, a passage that they might remember, a context that they would remember that would be associated to the parable. And then the Darash was the clarity, what they were finally supposed to come to the realization of so that they would understand the teaching and understand the parable as Jesus meant it. Now, many of us grew up with this parable believing that we were the sower. That when we go out to evangelize, we go out to sow the seed, and these are the types of hearts that this seed is going to fall on, and this is the difficulty level of evangelism. That very well could be a great interpretation of that. In this case, most likely, Jesus is saying, what type of soil are you? 
He's wanting the crowd to not look outwardly, but look inwardly and say, what type of soil am I? And if I'm a certain type of soil, and I don't need to be on the path, or rocks, or thorns, what do I need to do to become good soil? What do I need to do to become good ground? And the word answers that. That's what's so beautiful about these parables, is every parable that you study, if you will use this hermeneutic, you can get to the bottom line of the parable because every parable ties into the Old Testament. And people in that day, usually by about age nine, they had the Torah pretty much memorized. By about age 13, many of them had the entire, what we would call Old Testament memorized. Again, they didn't have a copy of it, but they went to synagogue every week. Some studied in schools every week. And if you got to a certain level by the time uh, your bar mitzvah hit and you got actually chosen by a rabbi, which was extremely rare, then you had the ability for the rabbi to open the text at any point and begin quoting it. And the minute that he stopped quoting, the student could pick up in that exact spot and continue on through the rest of the text. That's pretty strong. Most of us today, I know that I'm included, I had far more scripture memorized when I was like 21 than I do now. Me and some of my buddies used to have like memorization contests. I owned a gym back then, and it was not very crowded. <laughs> and during the day, I would be there for like 16 hours, and a couple of the gym members said, hey, why don't we memorize the book of Philippians? I thought, well, I've got pretty much all day to do this. Today, I'm ashamed to say I don't memorize Scripture near like I used to. And Scripture memorization is a great way to be able to recall the things that are important when we're studying the rest of the Word. Now, we are blessed today that we can go to Bible Gateway or some other tool like that, and I think that's a great resource as well. In fact, I would challenge you this week as we go through these elements that you won't limit it to the text that I've got down, but instead you'll go in and you'll type in Rocky. You'll type in Thorns. You'll type in Path. And find out what scripture says about it, especially in the Old Testament. So we're going to work down the, the Peshat side. And I didn't make it easy. The words will not show up on the screen. So working down the left column, this is just like school. Working down the left column, first word next to the path is snatched. If you're keeping notes, snatched. Because the hard path, it was snatched away. It was pulled away. The evil one came, and it never got to take root whatsoever. It never got to blossom or bloom. And so in their minds, when they're hearing this, they're supposed to go into a discovery. How do I find out what this really means? To us, and when we really read, you know, Jesus saying, here's what the past stands for, we think that's kind of the end of the lesson. Jesus said, well, that's, that's the evil one coming. It is, but it's not just about what type of soul you are. It's about how do you become good soul. So, Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12 says this. Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. So the path, the Peshat, is snatched. The context is Hosea 10, 12. And the clarity is righteousness, if you want to put that in that block. It's righteousness. How do we plow up the ground? If you've got a hard heart, if you've got a toughened spirit, how do you plow the ground up? It's through righteous actions. Have you ever noticed that when you come to anything that's service-oriented, that your heart softens? That when you take on actions of Christ, your heart softens? 
I can be really hard-hearted. And if somebody invites me to do something and sharing a service or an outreach for them, even Paul Evans, Mr. Hard Heart, softens up. Because in service of righteous actions, our hard ground, our hard path gets plowed. And we become good soil. The rocky ground was shallow. You can put that in that box. Shallow. They received it with joy. They got super excited. But then when the persecution came and the hard times came and the trouble came, because they were shallow, the sun came and burned it up. The remez is Isaiah 5.24. And there could be other passages. Again, I'd challenge you to study this. Isaiah 5.24, Therefore his tongues of fire lick up straw and his dry grass sinks down in the flames. So their roots will decay and their flowers blow away like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord Almighty and spurned the one of the Holy One of Israel. And so when they hear this about this ground, they're thinking probably of this passage that says it's the law of the Lord. It's the law of the Lord that removes the stones. It's the law of the Lord that removes the shallowness. We live in a culture today, if you, if you pay attention to a lot of the teaching in Western Christian uh, philosophy of Christianity, a lot of this teaching is all about us. It's about how to make my life better. How for me to get the most out of my life. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I am saying it's shallow. Because Jesus didn't come just so Paul Evans would have a good time. But he came that I would be holy. That I'd be righteous. That I'd be conscious. And I can only know what he wants if I'm deep in the word and not shallow in the word. Hey, I love Christian books. I love Christian podcasts. I read a lot and I listen to a lot of podcasts. But I don't think it overcomes me just getting in the word for myself. Because it's too easy to believe what somebody else says. Instead of seeking God's word for itself. So we obey the law of the Lord as the Durash in this case. The thorns and the third block on the left side, they got choked. They choked the plants. And it said here, it's the worldliness, it's the deceit of wealth, that this chokes the life out of them. The corresponding remez for that is Jeremiah chapter 4, 3 and 4. This is what the Lord says to the people of Judah and to Jerusalem. Break up your unplowed ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your heart, you people of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or my wrath will flare up and burn like a fire because the evil you have done. Burn with no one to quench it. That's a pretty, pretty tough judgment there. That's kind of one of those ending passages. I almost cut off because I thought passage one sounds pretty good. Second one sounds pretty judgmental. But he's saying we've got to circumcise ourselves. And he's not simply talking about that covenant with Israel. He's saying you've got to make a covenant with me. You make a decision with me. That if you don't want to get choked by life, you've got to make this covenant with me. I think about what Acts chapter 2, when it says that the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They made a covenant with that doctrine, with that teaching, to make sure that they weren't going to get choked by life, and it was going to squeeze all of Christ out of them. So circumcision is that third block on the right-hand side. And then the good soil. Fourth block on the left-hand side, the Peshat is abundance. Good soil, good soil does not just happen. It's not automatic. It's not like some of us were just good. If you remember in Romans, it says, there is no one good, no, not 
one. It says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are good soil. It takes work. It takes righteous acts. It takes the law. It takes having that devoted heart to become this good soil. And he says, when you're a good soil, it produces a hundred or sixty or thirty times what was planted. Now, some of these remezes, it's hard to know if that was the one. This one most likely is the one. There's only one other time in the Bible that a hundredfold production is mentioned. Genesis 26 and verse 12. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. Only time in the New Old Testament, in the Old Testament, this is mentioned. These folks listening to Jesus would have known that passage. And it's Isaac bringing forth a hundredfold. And to us, they go, okay, that's pretty cool. That's kind of neat. But Isaac was whose son? Abraham. Who did Israel say they were the children of? Abraham. So the listeners to this parable say that being good soil means that we're good children of Abraham with whom God made the covenant. So his parables were not light. They weren't just soft stories that sounded good and felt good. They had a lot of depth. And so Jesus says, some people aren't going to see and some people aren't going to hear because they're not willing to do the work. Let's be people that do the work. Let's get, be people that get in the word. That we prioritize it every day. That we make it something, not just to open the Bible and hope I find a passage that helps me make it through the day. But let's open the word and find out what God really desires so that we make this life for him instead of us. There's two other passages that are down here. Matthew 13, 31 and 32. And Matthew 13, 33. This is your assignment, your homework since having class today. Next to Matthew 13, 31 and 32, write down Ezra. No, Ezekiel 17, 22 through 24. Ezekiel 17, 22 through 24. As you read Matthew 31 and 32, you write down what you think the, the um, Peshat is. The Ramez is Ezekiel. And then you write down the Darash, what you believe the Lord's revealing to you through that. Matthew 13 and 33. It's the parable of the East. The Ramez there is going to be Genesis 18. Read that story. And what's, what's the outcome of what's happening? And you're going to notice something that's very specific giving numbers in that story. In the parable of the yeast, it talks about 60 pounds of dough. As you read Genesis 18, see if 60 pounds of dough comes back up. Chances of that happening? 100%. So y'all study that this week and see the correlation between that. So as we close, the desire. The desire. God's will for my life. I want you to circle for my life. It's secondary. God's will is primary. We open the word to find out God's will, first of all, as the priority. And then God's will for my life, I think, is secondary. Because often, we're trying to ask God, what's your will for my life specifically? I want to know specifically what you want, but I've not even followed you in the general aspects of what you want. 
I don't even know your general will, but I'm asking for your specific will. I'm not saying it has to be in that order, but it makes a little sense. So we get into the Word to find out God's will, and then God's will for my life. This last passage, Matthew 4, 4. Jesus answered, it's written, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's where true life is. That's where our hope is. That's where hopefully our desire is and our drive is. Let's be people of the word. Let's reclaim. Hey, if you want to talk to somebody that knows the Bible, y'all better go over to Landmark. Those people know the word. And it's not enough for the staff to know the word. We've got to know it and be in it and study it. And maybe we need to go back to the Peshat and the Ramez and the Darash. That'll help us understand some parables. Or maybe we go back to our original Church of Christ hermeneutic of expressed uh, um, command and example and necessary inference. But be in the Word. So, closing question. What type of soil are you? What type of soil am I? Hard? Rocky? Thorny? Good? I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and you get to lift up your own need at this time. And then after that, we'll stand and sing together. And if you have a specific need that you would love prayers for for this congregation or support, please come forward today, and we'll share that. But we're all going to share in the exercise of what is our soil. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we praise you for your power and your authority. And we thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, that we will respond to what you desire. And what your will is, and not simply decide what we desire, what we want your will to be. And fathers, we've studied this parable today, and we've seen the different types of soil and, and the way that they react, and the way that we're supposed to respond. Father, I pray right now for those who feel like they're on the hard path, who need to engage righteous actions. Father, I lift them up right now, and I pray that they're lifting up themselves so that the hard ground will become plowed. Father, for those who feel like they've got stony ground, they get excited about the Word. They get excited about you. They get excited almost every Sunday. But by Tuesday or Wednesday, life's been overwhelming, and they've been persecuted. They've been challenged, and there's just not enough depth. Father, I pray that they will be in your Word every day this week. Father, for those of us who spring up, and then the thorns spring up as well and choke us out, because we're too surrounded by this life, we love this life sometimes more than we love you. We pray that we will redevote ourselves to you and make that covenant for you. And Father, for those in this place that are good soil, I pray that they share their story of how they are receiving blessings a hundred times what was planted through your Holy Spirit and through the power of Jesus Christ and the cross and the resurrection. And Father, for those who have, have softened the hard path and taken away the stones, and that the thorns have been pulled up and burned. I pray that they will share with us the ways that we can become stronger and we can become more like you. We pray this together in the name of Jesus, and we say amen. Let's stand together. If you've got a need, just come forward and share that, and we'll pray over you this morning.